What's up, everybody? My name is Sonny, and I am an alcoholic. What's up, y'all? Oh, first, I want to thank God for AA, and I want to thank AA for my understanding of God. And after God, I want to thank Pej for inviting me to speak tonight. So God and Pej and AA, thanks, y'all. Um, <laughs> I love you, bro. It's great to see you. And uh, thanks, Nathan, for sharing, too. And happy birthday, Kent. Um, and congratulations, Buzz, for 11 months, man. It's awesome. And so um, uh, I live in Culver City, uh, so I'm in L L.A. County. Um, and uh, I think we're this meeting's based in Laguna, right? Laguna Niguel. And uh, Laguna is rad. I'm going to come visit you all soon. And uh, so my sobriety date is December 31st, 2001. Um, I did not choose that date. It'd be an odd one to choose, wouldn't it? Um, it just, it just happened to hit bottom on December 30th of 2001. And it wasn't technically the first bottom that I'd hit. Uh, I'd hit bottoms along the way, but it was the one where I had, I had had my ass handed to me sufficiently enough to where I did not know how to continue <clears throat> and I did not know how to stop. So I finally did what was had been, um, I mean, suggested by a friend of mine. I have this friend who I uh, will consider, I consider my Inuit, which I think is a kind of new school way of saying Eskimo. Um, she, had, uh, she had told me um, that when, when the time was right, that I should call AA. And um, now up, up until this point, <clears throat> I was 30 years old and at the time, and, and um, my friend Roxanne was, had been sober for, I think, 10 years at the time, something like that. And we were really close and I was actively smoking crystal meth and drinking and all this stuff and we were really close friends and she would swoop in. Um, I was squat, either, either it was when, well, it was during the time when I had been squatting in Hollywood. Um, squatting might be a, it, I was squatting. I actually had this. I had the keys to this, um, this like office building that this Persian guy who had a, you know, expensive coke habit had given me the keys to, and I knew how to get him some coke, so he gave me the keys to this place. I was like, yeah, hey, you can hang out here and throw after hours parties. I had no business doing that, throwing after hours parties. I was doing it, but my friend Roxanne and I met uh, through her brother, who was my producer of a band I was in at the time, and we became really good friends. And she would um, would tell me, you know, she'd pick me up and feed me because I hadn't eaten, wouldn't have eaten in days, and uh, or slept, uh, or probably drank water, or <laughs> been outside, or brushed my teeth, or you know, hadn't done the, those basic things. Um, and she would pick me up and take me to um, like uh, Real Foods Daily in Santa Monica, you know, like a vegan spot. And the funny thing is, I was not vegan then, but I am now. Um, and we and she'd be like, we're going to Real Foods Daily. I'd be like, mm, can we go to Carl's Jr.? How about Jack in the Box? She's like, no, we're gonna go to get some good nutrients in your body, and then we'll take you. I'll take you to Starbucks. You can get a full fat latte. You can get the biggest latte they'll give you for all the fat, uh, all the milk in there, right? Thanks, Buzz. Um, and so, uh, and she would just talk to me, man. I tell you, uh, I mean, I, I'm gonna jump around because I like I like to start off sober and then reference back 
um, it, I had been in rehab before and when I, in, when I was 16, um, and I'll tell you a little more about that later. So I had had, I'd been around AA. Um, I never claim that as having been my first time sober cause I did, I was not in recovery. So I didn't even relapse because I didn't have any recovery. I just took a break when I was 16. I got a sponsor in name only and all this. And, and, and then eventually I just, uh, got back to it and I drank instead of doing drugs, which was my, you know, I was only an addict back then. So I was drinking because I'm not an alcoholic, so I'm going to drink. But, um, again, back to when I was 30 and, and Roxanne was, was literally 12th stepping me and I didn't even really know that it was happening at the time, but I was homeless, <laughs> but I had a major label record deal. <laughs> How about that? I was on a major label Virgin records and I was homeless, houseless, I guess you could say, cause I'd never slept outside. Um, and she would say, look, if you ever, you know, if you're ever at that point, my, sorry, y'all, I'm just going to keep getting shorter and shorter. My chair just keeps like, mm, it's just failing. So, um, she said, uh, if you ever, if, when it comes down to it, if you ever, if you're ready, if you're ready, call AA. And I was like, nah, I don't know the number. Like some ridiculous, like, ah, I can't cause I don't know the number. Like what a ridiculous statement. And she goes, well, I'm going to tell you the number and you'll never forget it. And I was all, <laughs> watch me. Watch me forget the solution or the possibility of solution in a millisecond. And so I, maybe most of you are old enough um, to remember this little number that we used to call when there was landlines and the, these things didn't exist. Well, they did, but we still had this thing called, you know, uh, directory assistance. So she's like, you're going to call 411. And it was literally like, you, you know, pick up the phone and go 411. And then you get a human and they would say, operator assistance. And then you say, I need the number for Nathan DePauli. And then they would give me Nathan's number. <laughs> so in this case, she gave me 411. And I was like, oh, I'm not, I can't forget that. So then again, back to the night of, um, it was actually January 2nd that I, that I um, reached for the phone and called 411. And someone answered. Hold on, I have to do this. this watch this. Meep. Got to go all the way down. Hopefully hydraulics will engage. Um, but I called 411 and someone answered. And I said, I need the number for Alcoholics Anonymous. And they connected me. And, some, and then someone answered. A human answered. And I said, I can't stop. I need help. I don't know what to do. And the woman said, great. I said, great. <laughs> great. She goes, yeah. Uh, where are you? And I said, I'm at 9th in California. 9th in Arizona in Santa Monica. She goes, hold please. And she went and got a, like a paper directory and probably looked under, right? Where we're like, beep, boop, 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 boop. And I can go to a meeting in Australia right now if I want to. Um, and she said, hey, there's a meeting starting 20 minutes from you, seven blocks away. Here's the address, second and second and, uh, um, second and Wilshire, starting in 20 minutes. Go now, hang up now, go, go, go. And I was like, Arr! and hung up the phone and... <laughs> I don't remember walking there, y'all. I was so, I had been months just smoking meth and drinking and just like killing myself. And, um, and, I'm, and I sat in that room and it was, again, it was January 2nd. There was only like five people in the room and there was a nice fire going in the fireplace. And, um, <laughs> and uh, I was like, 
I was lost. I was desperate. Um, someone at one point told me later on that I was courageous, that it takes a lot of courage to come into the rooms. And I was like, I'm not courageous. I was like, don't put that shit on me, man. I do not deserve credit for coming in here. Thanks for coddling me, though. Thanks for trying to make me feel good about myself. I was drowning. Someone threw me a life preserver, and I, re and I grabbed onto it. If I'm drowning and someone throws me a life preserver, does it take courage to grab it? Didn't take me any, man. I was so desperate. But thanks for trying to be nice. Thanks for being nice to me. <laughs> and, um, and I shared. I was like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And I'm so grateful. I'm so very grateful that I um, didn't look at it as though, you know, this isn't my first rodeo or like, I, you know, I was in AA so I know some stuff. Man, I'm so grateful I didn't know anything. Sure, I'd been to some meetings and I complained. I didn't take a single step. As like, I didn't, I didn't do any any recovery um, back then, and so I was so desperate and so ready to to like take direction, man. And so I got um, pointed in the direction of a men's meeting in Santa Monica, which became my home group, and I got a sponsor. And it was almost like what Kent was saying. It was I, I can't remember how the how you said it. It was a funny adjective that you used, and I was like, oh, that sounds like my first sponsor. Grunt, grumpiest, not wasn't grumpiest. It was a funny grunt, maybe gruntiest, the gruntiest guy, something like that. Um, I, I got that guy too, uh, a similar guy. And um, and I, as I look back on it now, I realize he didn't actually take me through the book. He did take me through the steps, but he sort of get like gave me direction, like read this and then. And so I I did go through the steps. I was you know taken through the steps by him, if you will. Um, but it wasn't until I had three years sober that I started taking people through the steps um, um, from the big book, like literally sitting and reading the book with people. Um, and it changed my life, man, sitting with someone. And I, have, I, and I, and I don't say men because I, I have sponsored women. Um, I, you know, my, you probably hear, I don't know if people hear this or not, but a lot of times you hear, well, men stick with the men and women stick with the women. And I'm like, well, what if you're gay? Like, does this have to do with sex? Like, what do you, what do we, like, how about just don't be a creep? As long as, like, just don't be a fucking creep. Right? <laughs> um, and so I've sponsored women. I've sponsored gay women. I've sponsored gay men. Um, I sponsor people. I sponsor al alcoholics. Now, there has been once or twice where I could tell that she was, was like, hey, do you sponsor women? And I was all, <laughs> I'm not taking on any new sponsees right now. <laughs> Right. That's a sane and sound ideal that I got to form in uh, in recovery. Um, but, yeah, so I started taking people through the steps and changed my life, man. Now, um, so one of the beautiful things, one of the many beautiful things that occurred for me when I got sober was I have I am a musician and I had been in bands my entire adult life. And I had toured the world drunk and high. And had some success and basically pulled it down on me, right? I mean, um, I could not control and enjoy my drinking. There's this cool saying, when we were controlling it, I'm not enjoying it when we're enjoying it, which is really what I want to do. I don't want to control it. I do not want to control my drinking. I want to drink and use with no consequences. That's what I want. But it's not up to me. That's powerlessness. It's not up to me. I don't get to decide anymore. It's over. I, as we used to say in, in like band guys, we say, uh, uh, I used all my drink tickets. 
That's how we used to get paid sometimes, drink tickets. They literally give us like tickets, like tickets, please. And you have a little ticket, right? And they give us, and you can go cash those in for drinks, right? Nathan, you know what I'm talking about? I used up all my drink tickets. But I thought, um, I can't be sober. I can't be sober and be in a band. Wrong. <laughs> you can. We can go anywhere free people go, provided we're in fit spiritual condition. That's the thing. That's the caveat is provided we're in fit spiritual condition. And being in fit spiritual condition equals take the steps and then it's not an overnight matter. It should continue for our lifetime. I love that you read the 10th step, Nathan. I fucking love you, bro. And like Nathan, I've, I've been sponsoring Nathan for, I don't know, close to a year. And, uh, and a couple, last year he started, he jumped on this meeting that I had started on Zoom. And, um, and we were spending a lot of time together. And uh, he calls me one day. He's like, hey, man, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about sponsoring me? And I said, mm, I think you're going to make me look real good. Because <laughs> you're rad. Because he worked the hell out of, out of the 12 steps, bro. And then you call me and he takes direction and helps me because I'm giving direction and I'm receiving direction as it comes in and flows through. Right? So thank you, bro. And so um, back to uh, hitting bottom. I was in a band. And, and I, when I hit bottom, we had a tour scheduled in January in Australia. And that was my job. Like I'm going on my job. And so I had hit bottom and then like 11 days or so later, uh, I flew to Australia. And the thing is, I, I, I sensed that there was, a, I had a grace period, if you will. Um, whether I was bestowed it by some cosmic bellboy, you know, somebody that was doing, that does me favors or something, this whatever type of God that would, that does favors, which I don't, that's not really, I don't really subscribe to that. Whether that's true or not, I was in a grace period, but I, but it needed to be followed by action. So I didn't realize, but at the time I was gonna stay sober. Like I had, again, just my, I'd been beaten into a state of reasonableness and I was willing to do whatever it took to stay sober. So I went on tour and it was fantastic because we were playing these 60,000 people festivals. It was so rad. And a bunch of my friends and these other bands were, were on that tour and they drink and use normally or not. They do what they do. And I still got to spend time with them. And then when the time was like, okay, it's time for me to go, I would peace out. But I, but it was so great because I slept, <laughs> I ate, I played fat rock shows, and I just walked around Australia, Brisbane, you know, Surfer's Paradise is the name of the first place we went. We were there for four days. It was killer. Oh, we actually, we were in, uh, no, sorry, we were in Auckland, New Zealand first. And it fucking beautiful, man. I can't wait to go back there again. I've been there a couple times. And I walked around and was like, wow. And I ran on, on a black sand beach, which was like, liquid hot magma that had been so ancient it had turned to sand from erosion and all this. And I'm, I literally, I was wearing, <laughs> I was wearing like, I had these shirts with like safety pins that said, you know, like ridiculous metal stuff, but in pentagrams and shit. And I was running on a black sand beach. It was so metal and so not so hippie. And I was like, I'm free. It was killer. This beach called Piha and, um, in New Zealand. And so, uh, and then I went to Australia and I slept, I got slept and ate and went to, and I went to some meetings. I went to one meeting. Hey, when I got 30 days, I went to a meeting in, in Australia at a hospital and they wheeled in all the people from the, <laughs> from the psych ward. <laughs> so imagine like whatever energy I'm giving you now, imagine it was 19 years and two months ago or three months ago, that dude, this guy then like all amped on sobriety back then. And they're lo looking at me like, I think we should probably get him a room here because <laughs> I was so hyped up. I was like, yeah, you know, it was amazing. And, um, and I got home after that tour 
and you know being a musician and all that having just been homeless oh yeah my girlfriend let me move in with her uh for the last like couple months of my drinking and using the last few months um uh so i had so i wasn't like uh, i wasn't homeless you know what uh, <laughs> i was gonna make a uh musician joke but I'll, I'll, I'll leave that aside because it has to do with strippers too so i'll leave it aside um if you want to hear it later let me know but um okay what is what is uh uh okay i'll do this one with no strippers what do you call a, mu a musician without a girlfriend? Homeless. So, twas I. Um, and then what does a stripper do with her asshole right before she goes to work? Drops him off at band practice. So, um, you're welcome. <laughs> so, I know. It's, I don't, I just, I, it's just how I, it's, it's just true. That's all. Um, so, uh, when I got home, I was broke. And I had no job and we were, and we were like working on a new record, which means there's no money coming in until the record's done. Blah, blah, blah. So I was like, ah, I need a job. And my sponsor's like, what else do you do besides play music? And I'm like, I'm a vet tech. He goes, okay. You work with animals? He's like, yeah. He goes, well, there's only like, I don't know, 10 animal hospitals in an eight block radius around here. So what do you say? We start checking into those. So I got two jobs in like a week. <laughs> And I started working and I started going to meetings every single day. And I ended up leaving that band uh, because it was the, it was like the one thing that was um, impeding upon my potential serenity at the time. So I left that band and I just, you know, went and worked and went to meetings and worked on recovery and right and tried to be rad. And I got to have these as in this first year of, of sobriety, I got to have these um, spiritual experiences along the way that, the, um, that the big book actually points out like in step one and in step two and in step three. And in, like, there's these things that start to happen, man. And so I start, I start to feel the flow come in and I start to feel like I'm actually putting things in place and setting up and, you know, looking back on it, I'm setting a foundation and building this archway through which I will pass to freedom, freedom too. <clears throat> I like to use the, I like to highlight the words in the book that are about recovering, like, recovered. Um, I don't claim that I'm, uh, recovering. I'm a recovered alcoholic. Like it says in the first two sentences of the first forward of the first edition, it says the word recovered in each of those first two sentences. One of them is even italicized precisely how we recovered. It looks like this, like that. The words are like that. Yeah. That means it's important, I think. Right. And so recovered man, I'm not going to be superstitious. I'm not cocky, nor am I afraid, like Nathan read in the 10th step. The 10th step promises, if you will, are the second step, um, is the second step realized. Because the second step is like, I believe that a power greater than me can restore me to sanity. Why? Because, I've, because I um, looked at step one and realized what powerlessness means uh, in body and mind, right? And if I, and if I treat the mind then the body, the, the uh, allergy of the body is academic. It doesn't exist if I don't put the thing in me, the drink or the drink, however it comes in here, whatever it is, you know, put it in. Um, and so if I, can, if I can treat this with spirituality, then I have recovered from alcoholism and I'm not suffering. I didn't say I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not suffering from alcoholism. And um, it's rad. So there's like triumph and, and like, and, um, what was the one I was just talking about? Uh, freedom. Freedom. Yo. But all it really does, I mean, all it really does, besides amazing things, 
is put me on a level playing field with, with other people. Um, and I'm free of the obsession to drink and use. And then I can, then it's like, okay, now how is Sonny going to react to life? Right. Instead of, and I don't get, I don't get to blame it on my alcoholism as if it's like some dude over here that's like, Hey, you think you're doing good? Well, uh. then I got to deal with like other stuff. I got trauma. I got, uh, former injuries. I got, you know, I got life to deal with, man. I got emotional issues. I got probably got adult ADD. I mean, who knows, bro? I can't blame, I can't blame that on alcoholism and I don't need to, but I need to treat my alcoholism and it's, and I like, I like to do it. I like, I like praying and meditating. I like talking to people. I spent, I spent the last like three days, um, a portion of the last three days, uh, on the phone with, with people I sponsor hearing inventory. And I'm about to go into inventory cause I'm in a, I'm in a big book workshop where I met my amazing girlfriend a couple months ago. I'm like I'm about to go into some inventory. Like I never did any before and it's, I'm stoked. And so, um, yeah, but again, back to that, like first year, man, I had left the music business. And I was recovering and I was having these amazing, um, these amazing experiences. I was like seeing things differently, you know, it literally I was, like, Ooh, whoa. And thinking differently and being more open and still grappling with, um, this, uh, this, uh, we agnostics type of scenario, page 47, um, where it says, when we speak to you of God, we mean your own conception of God. And that applies to other spiritual expressions you'll read in this book. Please don't let any prejudice you may have against spiritual terms deter you from asking yourself, honestly asking yourself what they mean to you. And I had these blocks, man, with, um, with God. My grandfather, a Pentecostal pastor from Southern Virginia, talking about speaking in tongues and all the things. Sorry if anyone's Pentecostal. I'm not trying to insult, but that messed me up, man. And I thought that um, I, thought I was going to burn in hell. And then I accepted it. And then I was like, oh, okay, I'll go. Cause I like ACDC. So let's go. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> and my friends are going to be there too. So, uh, I had this, I hated my grandfather's God. I hated him. I still, I'm not, still not down. Like I'm still like, no, you're an asshole. <laughs> you're jealous. Grow up God. Please, really? Like I have to bow before you, please, bro. Does somebody need some, somebody needs some attention, bro? Like I'm still like, I don't know. To me, it's, that's just me. And you don't have to, that's, that's my thing. Um, but I love animals. I love kids. I love art. I love music. I love affection. I love period. And that's what I got to cultivate was that thing. And that's what I was doing in that first eight, 10 months, man. And then I had, so I worked at this animal hospital and I had a, uh, a boxer, my dog Shay, who was a physical specimen. You know, boxers like they're—I mean, they're big doofuses, but they're like you know, bodybuilders who aren't really that strong. Like they're—they <laughs> just look like it, kind of like Taylor Nathan. Um, I hope he's not here. So um, I'm talking shit right now. Uh, yeah, but he got sick, man. He got this thing called pancreatitis. And, um, and it's pretty treatable. Like you don't feed them for a couple of days and you put them on IV catheters and you kind of, the pancreas is all freaking out and then it settles down. Well, his didn't, his wasn't going away. And it took like three or four days of all of this for the doctors to finally look at me and go, and I'm talking about, I worked at two different animal hospitals and I had a team of doctors go, we don't know what's going on. And when they did that, 
I looked at him and he was and he was withering and he was getting skinny, and with, except for his big amazing stupid boxer lips, and I was like, holy shit, and I went in the back room like the the grooming area, and where there's like it's wet and there's dog and cat hair all over the floor and shit, and I fell to my knees, and I prayed and I was not even conscious of it like I wasn't even aware I'm gonna go do this I did not think that I went. And I fell to my knees and I wept and I said, please, God, help him, please. Anything that you, that I would receive, anything that I would receive, please give it to him. Please help him. And, um, and I didn't, and then I went on about my way. I didn't went on my business or whatever. And a couple days later, he got better. It shifted and some things got better. And, uh, and then I didn't think anything of it. And a few days after that, maybe a week or two later, my sponsor was like, Hey man, when Shay was sick, did you pray for him? I said, I did. And he goes, all right. And he was trying to help me, like, you know, define God, you know, with my finite mind I'm supposed to come up with. I'm not, that's above my pay grade, man. I can't, def I can't create God. <laughs> look what's happened since, pe since people have been doing it. <laughs> look at all this mess we're in from everybody creating these things. So I was like, holy shit, I know where that is. He said, you're going to pray to the God that saved Shay, you know, proverbially speaking or metaphorically speaking. Um, and, uh. And I was like, ooh, I know where that is. And the cool thing for me was the thought that um, I had to find God. Like, huh? like looking under shit and climbing things and going down. Like where? It's in here too. It's in here also and on the mountaintop and in the cosmos and I don't know, in a parking ticket. Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's either everything or nothing, right? And so uh, I started to have this connection with God. And then a couple weeks later after that, he got sick again and he was not getting better, y'all. And the, finally the doctors were like, we should open him up and take a look, put a feeding tube in and do an exploratory. And the night before he went in and he was withered, man. He was just like this skinny from a specimen to a skinny bag of bones with giant, <laughs> cute lips <clears throat> that I used to chew on. And I crawled in this cage that night and I was like, I love you, man. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for literally introducing me to God. I found my G-O-D through my D-O-G. I said, thank you. I love you. And the next day they found a tumor in his stomach that was the size of a grapefruit. Inoperable. They called me. I was at work at an animal hospital. I got called from the specialists, you got to come over here. And my boss was like, go. And so I went and my, and my girlfriend met me there and we, uh, said goodbye to him. And again, I thanked him. I was like, I love you, man. Thank you. And then he, we let him go. And, um, I wasn't mad at God. I was hurt, sad, but I was changed, man. And I mean, this is a rad little, just a little God with a capital D shot is a couple weeks later. I was um, a greeter at a meeting. Um, I was like, man, I had like, I don't know, like nine commitments a week. Went to like 15 meetings a week, had nine commitments. And uh, I was greeting at the, I was at the back door of this place in Santa Monica called 26 and Broadway. I'm like, great. Hey, welcome to the meeting. And then um, Captain AA here to welcome you. Hey, everybody. And uh, this woman pulls up and runs up to me. <laughs> he goes, Hey, Sonny, I heard you're looking for a dog. And I was like, what? She goes, I was going up Montana Avenue this morning, jogging with my dog. And this dog jumped out of the bushes and came running with us. And he's got ticks and fleas and no collar and 
she said your friend Natalie said that um, our friend Natalie said that um, you were here and that I should bring him to you because she looked at him and said that's Sonny's dog he's over there at 26 and Broadway and um and so I went over and I met this dog who I looked in the back seat and I was like well there you are and he looked at me and he was like oh there you are and I'm all I didn't know I was looking for this guy and by the way because I mean this is how much this dog's been that's Buckley he's been gone for eight years and I still have a picture of him right here it's family right there bro and so um, this amazing creature entered my life like from, I got this, my next dog from AA and um, and like this is where my literally my cultivation of the of the consciousness of the presence of God was forged um, and that's the great news about AA y'all it doesn't like it's not a trick if you're new it isn't a trick to be like ha gotcha it's actually a religious movement if you wanted like i i sponsor a man who's a rabbi now he wasn't when we when he got sober but he is now he became a rabbi he's a rock and roll rabbi he used to he used to manage on the rocks which is a bar over the roxy in the in sunset on the sunset strip now he's a rabbi but it's not a trick to get us to pick one of the packaged religions because man, look, there's like there's the, the literature in AA claims and states that we actually are intelligent beings, and it's and it doesn't satisfy us to be told that we can't control our drinking because we're outright mental defectives or maladjusted to life because we're crazy, like that's not enough, man. I'm smarter than that. Like I I do I do need it to make sense to me. And guess what? That's the book says. All it has to do is make sense. It doesn't have to make sense to you. Like, I don't got to convince you. You don't got to convince me. But I sure do love talking about it. And really, um, it, that's the point, is to, like, help cultivate. So, you know, to maybe there's somebody in here that's like, man, I, I can relate with this cat. Like, I love dogs. <laughs> and even if you, you don't have to claim that dogs are God, but for me, like, that... The ultimate goal is to be like a dog in its purest form of um, love. And I'm not going to say unconditional love because that, that's um, redundant. If love, is not, uh, if, if love is not unconditional, it's not love. Catch what I'm saying? Then it's like affection or infatuation. But um, the beautiful thing that continues to happen in recovery because I can go back and tell you all the stories, man. I mean, you know, and I told you some of them, squatting in Hollywood, smoke crystal meth, all that good stuff. But the, I have actually more experience sober now than I do drunk and high. How about that? I think I started using when I was 14, 13, 14 regularly and uh, got sober when I was 30. I've been sober 19 years. It's two years longer than I drank and used. So what what got to happen after that is, gets to happen after that is, I get to face life and keep on cultivating and, um, and, uh, uh, and be vulnerable and find new strength. And um, in 2016, uh, I had a heart attack. And I mean, some of my friends are in here and heard, heard these stories, but most of you guys probably don't know me. Um, but I had a heart attack in 2016 and I was fit as fuck. I was 45 years old. I was stronger than I'd ever been. My nephew had been training me. Um, 
and uh, and I had a heart attack because I have coronary artery disease, which means that I have an imbalance in my blood that caused blockages in my arteries. And so I went in um, to the hospital at 4 a.m., 5 a.m. on this particular day, uh, like, and I went in and they're like, yeah, you're having a heart attack. You have a myocardial infarction. That's ugly, isn't it? And so uh, I'm sitting on this, that they're like, I mean, they're like, we're going to admit, admit you and you're going to have to get an angioplasty or angiogram, whatever. It started as angiogram, ended as angioplasty. And so they're doing this thing where they're like putting IV catheters in me and they're putting a pulse oximeter and EKGs and blood pressure things and all this stuff buzzing around me. And I see this one cat over here in the corner and he's pulling something up in a, in a syringe. And um, like uh, Nathan was talking about, we react sanely and normally. Normal. It says normally. Normal. It says the word normal, it's, but it's an, normally. Um, and so I look over and I go, hey, man, what do you got there? To the guy pulling something in the syringe. And he says, morphine. And, I, and he said it and I went, hmm, no thanks. Just like Nathan said, no thanks. And he goes, oh, uh, well, the doctor said. And I was like, hey, tell the doctor, thank you. Good looking out. I don't need it right now. Um, and it wasn't because I was afraid. I just didn't want it. And I was having a fucking heart attack. Um, it's like, okay, that's when you get to have it. <laughs> and, um, and I was said, no, thank you. Uh, and then I got to tell him, Hey man, so I'm in recovery. Uh, and so I'm, that's why I'm making this choice. Cause I'm in recovery and I don't, I don't want it right now. And he goes, Oh, okay. And then, um, I get admitted. I mean, there's all this magical stuff. I do have like 11 minutes left. So I suppose I could tell some more and end up wherever I do. But I, uh, all this magical stuff happened in these in this 48 hour period of of me having a heart attack and then having four stents placed in around my heart um and so um they admitted me and the as as it would be my nephew had just moved in next door to me like he used to live right on the other side of that wall right there he but he had just moved in my niece who and he and he lived in Colorado before by the way and my niece who lives in Colorado had just finished up like her naval. She was a na in a naval reserve, and she had just finished up some stuff. Her uh, duty in San Diego that day, and so she came up and stayed with Gaia, my beautiful dog, for the for the subsequent two nights. And my mom happened to be in town because she's got an office. She's in she lived in Virginia. She happened to be in Port Wyneme. So like all these things like worked together so that my family was with me when I was when I was going through this, and um. And so they had actually admitted me and had to give me, had to put me on the next day. I wasn't, it wasn't severe. So they put me in the next day. So they put me in a room and like all these people came and visited me and my sponsee, seven men brought me a meeting that night. And, uh, and then like in the middle of the night, all the fucking alarms were going off. And so I pushed the button and whatever. And this wonderful woman came in and she, she was like, Oh my God, you're too young to be having a heart. You know, all this like compliment me on looking young and almost, but having a heart attack. I was like, okay, tell my blood and my arteries that I'm too young. But um, she goes, are you a football player? And I was like, me? <laughs> no, why? And she goes, well, because you got all those good-looking friends. And I was like, oh, you talking about the guys who came and visited me last night? She's like, yeah. And I was like, well, we're, uh, we're just a group of you know, people who support each other and, you know, just do like a spiritual program together. And she goes, Oh, y'all are Christians. And I said, well, not exactly. 
okay, I'm an alcoholic. I'm sober alcoholic. We're members of Alcoholics Anonymous. She goes, oh, my cousin's an alcoholic. Y'all are nice people. And I was like, you're a nice person. Let me tell you that, Missy. She was so rad. And, uh, and then the next day, man, like people, because I, I work, Pez knows me through Rock to Recovery, actually, this company I, I work for. And uh, I get to work with people. I get to use music with people in rehabs and stuff and, and more. And, um, and so I had all these young adults, man, from Promises, West L.A., right over here. Seven of them, eight of them, whatever, came to my room that day and brought me a card. And it was like, you're rad because we say that in Rock to Recovery. And my mom got to see all these young adults come and love on me, man. And that's from recovery, yo. It was amazing. And then um, they get me across town to this catheter lab the next day. And, uh, and like, you know, they say there's one in a thousand chance that, that you'll have a co- complication. And I'm like, that number's not very high. Like, oof. So that's okay. So realistically, there could be something wrong. <laughs> and so as my family... We're about we're saying goodbye to me before they took me into the thing to do it. I, I hugged these people like I would never see them again. But I wasn't sad. I was it was weird. I was like, mm, love you. And then they left and it was just me alone. Right? And I thought, hmm. Here I am. And this beautiful voice that sounded like mine said, Hey buddy. And I was all yes. And the voice said, is it true? And I said, is what? And I knew exactly what it, I was saying. I was like, is what true? And then the voice said, are you more than just this? Like this stuff, you know, elbow tattoos and piercings and you're rad and all that shit. And I was all, yeah, I'm more than this. And, it goes, and then the voice said, well, then there's nothing to be afraid of. God, I wish I could live with, I wish I could take this voice with me all the time. Luckily it was with me there when I was about to go in for angioplasty. And I was all, yeah. And then, so there's nothing to be afraid of. I was all, all right. And then uh, Charmaine and Michael came in, my nurses. They came in. They're all, hey, Sonny. And I was like, hey. They told me their names. But I haven't forgotten them. And they go, uh, we're going to be with you the whole time. I was all rad. And, um, and they go, so check it out. We're going to have to, um, we got to talk to you about something. So we know you're in recovery. And I was like, you do? <gasps> the guy yesterday made a note of it? And they go, yeah. He, he, and then they came over in the computer. And I was all, what a great guy. And, uh, and they're like, so we give twilight sedation during angioplasty but we don't have to like if you don't want it we don't have to give it and I said well there's a time and a place Charmaine and Michael and now's the time and here's the place like I want you to treat me like any other patient I, it's, it's in my best interest for you guys to do a great job I don't want to like louse this up for y'all I want to have it go well and they go cool and sometimes you know I mean, they said if we have to give put stents in you then we're going to have to probably give you a second injection and I'm like well what's in it and they said Ativan and fentanyl and I said, okay, cool. If I need the second injection, skip the fentanyl. I won't need it. Now, look, man, I wasn't struggling. and I'm not cocky or afraid. I'm telling you that sanity had returned. And I was able to go, yes, no. And, and then I got on the table. And before they put the damn stuff in me, I laid there and I thought, I might die. Okay. And then I thought, hmm, if I die... Where do I want to go? What do I want to do? It was kind of cool. I was laying there. And I was like, I think I was even having a conversation at the same time with Michael talking about music. And, um, and then speaking of music, I thought, ooh, if I die, I want to go hear the music of the spheres. Now, if you don't know what the music of the spheres is, those of you who are my friends, you all have heard this a million times. You're going to hear it a million more times before I die, unless I die tonight. Um, 
The Music of the Spheres is from page 10 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Bill's grandfather insisted that the spheres had their music, but he denied the preacher of his right to tell him how he must listen to the music. It's a theory by, thank you, brother, or whomever, sister. Um, it's a theory by Pythagoras that the celestial bodies move in such a way that they harmonize with one another and make music, which is actually true. We all have a frequency. The planets, moons, everything has a frequency. And so I was like, mm, I want to do that. And then I started hearing this song. Um, Pez, you know that song, Planet Caravan by Black Sabbath? Yeah, hippie, rad, sailing through the cosmos song. That started playing, and I didn't have, there was no music, but I heard it in my soul. And then they pushed the drugs in, and I went into the cosmos. <laughs> and, uh, and I woke up, I don't know, 30 minutes later, and they're like, hey, we need to put stents in you. And I said, all right, cool. Um, and then they put in four stents. And I came out, my family was there, and... Uh, this wonderful connection with them and it was it was like whatever it is man it's like i i sometimes I, f I wish i didn't have to be on the cusp of death to be so alive and i don't always but man i was like the fact that i had been in the the game of spirituality for so long especially in recovery um it really really helped me like bill talks about on page 14 that if the alcoholic fails to perfect and enlarge their spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, they will surely not be able to face the trials and low spots ahead. That was a trial and it wasn't God testing me. The te th this is the test. Just being alive is the test. God was the assistant, if you will. God, I was like, God help. God's like, yeah, you know, if you how whatever, how, well, whatever metaphor you need to use. God was the, 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 uh, the strength, if you will, um, that I asked for and received. So like the, the notion of, um, of always being powerless is I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I don't subscribe to it. I, I know that if I put alcohol in my body, drugs in my body, that I'm not in charge of what happens if the allergy, if the phenomenon of craving develops. Um, and for me to pick up a drink again after so much time, I will have the insanity will have returned probably from harboring resentments and all that kind of stuff. But like I have access to power. Um, look at the 11th step It says that we ask for God's uh, for knowledge of God's will for us and the power to carry it out. That means we're going to receive power. If lack of power was my dilemma, then I need power. And if I'm going to always be powerless, then what the fuck am I doing here? I got some power. I got access to it. I think we're afraid to say that sometimes. You know, I'm, I'm not powerless over people, places, and things. Those are nouns. I'm not powerless over nouns. I can't control people, places, and things. But, um, And the less I try to, the, the more fun life is. Right? I can roll with stuff and go, ooh, this is fun without me trying to be the puppeteer. Um, but I have access to power. And then also this, there's another thing, um, about like, we're not in the results business. I, this may be Al-Anon speak, but it's, but the word result is in the 12th step. We're in the results business. Why on earth would I take 12 steps? Why would I puncture ego and, and do all these other things? If I was going to, if I was not going to get results, <laughs> why would I bother? The result is a spiritual awakening from taking the subsequent 11 steps. <laughs> Great news, everybody. We get some shit. Like, that's good news. 
You know, we don't have to lament. I'm, I don't, I'm already hard enough on myself as it is, man. You know, after that, for that first heart attack, guess what I had a second one. I had another heart attack in 2018 and guess what I did take that time? Morphine. They said, we're going to give you morphine. I said, okay. Cause that shit fucking hurt, man. And then five minutes later when they said, I'll be done in 30 seconds, five minutes later when they said, how are you feeling? I was like, I feel like my soul is being crushed in my chest. And they said, we're going to give you some more morphine. I said, okay. And then the next day when my head was splitting open from all the morphine they'd given me the, ne- the day before. And they said, do you want something for the pain? I said, no, no, no. This is caused by the thing that stopped the pain yesterday. I'm just saying, man, sane and sound. I, I mean, uh, uh, sanity was returned. <laughs> and I keep getting to work at this thing, man. And it's a really a positive thing, y'all. Fourth dimension of existence. Like, this is all positive. Like, that's, you know, sunlight of the spirit, man. I beat my own ass more than anybody in the world. So I don't need to also shame myself in Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, so hopefully, I'm kind of talking to the newcomers. It's a positive thing, y'all. Like, hope and, and then actual joy. Oh, yeah, happy, joyous, and free. That's, that's actually a thing. Thanks.